0: You're not going to try and do a dodgy Australian accent again, are you?
1: But Mike's in Australia.
0: Simon, he's from Croydon. Good point. Hello and welcome to another episode, and I'm losing count now, but I believe it's episode seven of What's Mops Got To Do With It, the marketing operations podcast that's trying to get to the bottom of what marketing operations looks like in the corporate landscape. I'm Carla Wentworth.
1: And I'm Simon Daniels.
0: So Simon, who have we got on the podcast this time?
1: Well, yes, episode seven. I can't believe um, we're, we're here already and um, no, no wonder you're, you're losing track. Um, <laughs> Indeed, we head down under once again to speak to our marketing leader guest, Mike Gilliam, Regional Marketing Director at Journey Orchestration Engine Vendor Thunderhead.
0: And we've also got Ian Bennison, Director of Marketing Operations at Intertrust, who are a business process outsourcing specialist as our marketing operations leader.
1: And of course, we chat to our friend, independent stateside marketing operations consultant and principal at Mustang Martech, Courtney Makara, as we grab a virtual coffee with Courtney.
0: So Simon, I have received your regular marketing operations newsletter, and I thought that this was actually the perfect time and the perfect subject and the right thing for us to bring to our podcast audience. So uh, hit me with it.
1: Sure. So yes, in a slightly meta move, um, which I've done before, actually, I, I pulled together a roundup of um Predictions that, that I'd come across and, and, and been sent. And, you know, I was kind of looking for a few common themes and uh, and just general insights, if you like. So, yeah, I thought it might be uh, instructive to, to call out a few of them here as well. Um, so, let's kick off with um, our chum and, and previous guest, Daryl Alfonso, who um, put forward six marketing ops predictions for 2022. And among them that jumped out for me were um, he, he reckons that an increasing number of senior MOPS roles will become part of marketing teams, mm-hmm. um, which um, is is interesting because you, you do tend to see um, you know individual practitioners and uh, and and so on. So you know uh, the building of a function with a, a perhaps a more senior person um, is is a, is a, is a good trend I think. And then along with that he sees more formal training for marketing operations specialists. And again, um, a bit like marketing overall. And, and I think we've we've discovered this ourselves, haven't we, in the conversations we've had. But um, marketing operations does tend to, to to be populated by the self-taught and fell into it. So formal training can't be a, a bad thing in that regard.
0: So there will be an institute of marketing operations at, at some point?
1: There could well be, if there isn't already. Um, we'll,
0: if there isn't, we'll... Coin well, that phrase you, and do something. Right,
1: You quick, <laughs> while I'm speaking, go and register the domain name. Okay, on um, it. And then um, I, I like this one in particular, Mops becoming the, the first or second marketing hire um, in a marketing team. And uh, I just want to say, I said that at Get Stacked last year. So um, he's uh, he's obviously uh, found inspiration uh, in, in, in what I was saying. <laughs> I think
0: I think, well, I think that I said it, but I actually think I stole it from you. Oh, okay.
1: Well, yeah. it's one of those things. It's yeah. it's lost in the mists of time. Who who knows who said it first?
0: When you're not around, I tell people I said it. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly. Um, and then um, Justin Sharaf um, penned a, a similar piece on what will 2022 bring for marketing operations. And. Um, he felt that requests for additional mops headcount will be a feature and kind of continuing, continuing that theme somewhat. Um, and, and again, I like this one. He, he recommends putting aside some budget to cover unexpected requests for additional tools. Uh, So the control remains within marketing operations. Now, I completely agree with that because um, it absolutely happens. You know, somebody comes along and says, oh, can we just get this or just get that? And, you know, if you've got budget, you can say, yeah, sure, that's a good idea. We'll pick that up. And and then you've you've got control. Um, Speaking from personal experience, uh, having just basically rounded off our uh, budgeting process for our forthcoming fiscal year, um, it's a great idea but how perfect, did that go down yeah yeah Let, <laughs> let's just say it didn't really work out um but i, I commend it to the house
0: i 100 i agree with everything you've just said so the idea it, it's going to happen the idea is brilliant the reality of it is somewhat less brilliant yeah.
1: Yeah, indeed. Uh, but you can only try. Um, then, of course, Scott Brinker. Um, no set of predictions would be complete without his. Three big MarTech innovation themes in 2022. Um, he talked about the, the rise of big ops, which is he's, he's certainly spoken about before or written about before. Um, the volume, velocity, and variety of all digital operations, which I thought was a nice twist on, on obviously the, the old definition of big data. Um, And he he actually said, marketing operations teams should embrace this broader data ops ecosystem, a dramatic expansion of the scope marketing ops professionals can engage in. So that sounds pretty good to me. And I think it should be something that all all MOPs professionals embrace.
0: Just because Scott said it.
1: Well, for for no other reason. And (laughs) what other reason do you need? Um, And then the MarTech Alliance had 2022 marketing predictions, um, and they touched on, and again, this is a theme of Scott's quite regularly, uh, the rise of no low-code solutions, and quoted Gartner saying that they estimate that in two years' time, 80% of tech products Will be built by people who aren't tech professionals. I mean, how you actually measure any of this, I'm unsure, but um, I think it it is a fairly clear um, direction of travel.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's kind of happening now and, you know, being mm. big advocates and and having services of no code and low code integration. Uh, That's my, the one I'm putting my money on, you know, the next two years is just going to integrations are going to blow.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then beyond that, um, you know, various other things, um, subjects close to your heart, Carla, we talked about these last time, metaverse, blockchain, NFTs, um, and, and how they'll be tackling digital fraud, digital ad fraud. Uh, which is an interesting notion, and um, creating virtual brand souvenirs. Um, so that, that'll be an interesting one when that comes along. Um, and, and also potentially maintaining control over trademarks and, uh, and so on. And a consideration there is, is just avoiding getting stranded in new walled gardens. Mm-hmm. Um, history, if not repeating itself, then certainly rhyming. Um, so um, oh this is I, I'm sorry I've, I've gone on to talk about metaverses so you know um, the, the notion that you might get stuck in the, the meta metaverse if that isn't a bit too meta in itself um, build uh, a
0: wall around a metaverse
1: right right yes <laughs> virtual virtual walls um, and I mean, the, the final thing with all this stuff for me is is just the from a marketing and brand perspective is is the reputational risk of just all the energy that's being burnt on on all this stuff. So um, I think that'll be that'll be a, a consideration to look forward to in the future as well. So yeah, just a few of the things that I picked out, and um, I'll try and stick the whole lot up um perhaps on a linkedin post and uh and put the link in the show notes so if anybody wants to dive into it and and look into the the uh, the the source material um it will be there available for you
0: fantastic well that was a really good summary and it saved me a load of time doing any research so uh, i'm sure it has for the listeners as well but uh getting on to other things you ready for the guest let's go Right then, Simon, this is the second time we are up in the wee hours of the morning, wiping sleep from our eyes to talk to somebody really far across the pond, um, our second Aussie and uh, tell us, Simon, who are we talking to today?
1: Well, that's right. Curiously, we return down under once again, Carla, and speak to uh, an honorary Aussie, anyway. Uh, One of those annoying types who have mastered both general marketing while also taking care of marketing operations. A veteran of journey orchestration engine vendor Thunderhead, encompassing roles across EMEA and North America, and in the... Spirit of full disclosure, a former client of mine, please welcome to the podcast, Regional Marketing Director, Mike William.
0: Thank you very much. Nice to be here.
1: So Good no no money's
0: exchanged hands here, though. Um, right? not, not,
1: not recently, not recently.
2: If you want to give me any money, Simon, you're more than welcome. Sure.
1: Uh, <laughs> checks, checks in the post. Checks in the post. So, Mike, tell us a bit more about your current role and uh, and, and what you're doing. And interested to learn a bit more about Thunderhead. And uh, the, the sort of technology sector that you're playing in, because um, it's it's a lesser known area of of marketing technology, I, I think, but but one that, uh, that that might be of interest to our listeners.
2: Sure. So so firstly, my role. Um, so I, as you said in your introduction, span across marketing operations and the demand gen. Um, my background is really demand gen. But I feel like you can't, as my first boss said, you know, you can't be a great, you can't be great at demand gen unless um, you have a strong uh, operations kind of background. So he he actually made me go into operations when I first joined uh, the demand gen kind of team. And demand gen at, at Thunderhead is, uh, it covers everything from PPC, SEO, um, email, webinars, our events program, partnerships, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's pretty broad. And then I think the, and the operation side of my role is, my, it's it's managing the MarTech stack. And then we also have, um, you know, the kind of lead management sort of like process type stuff. And then all of that kind of like reporting and all the data stuff as well. So again, it's, um, yeah, kind of uh, across um, many things, you know, master of, master of none, but uh, no, I mean, an amount of, of about, a few, things.
1: just just in case your boss is listening. I, I I'm happy to vouch, uh, master of many, <laughs> uh. <laughs> or at least something, master of something. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: exactly,
1: yeah. Don't don't want to inflate your ego too much, but uh, no. I mean, I I I was always um, impressed by the, the 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 grip you had on on. The Martech and and, and the process and, and overall upside of things as, as well as everything else. So uh, it's uh, it, it you know, it's a lot to 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 juggle and uh, and, and to get a, to get a, a hold of. Well,
2: thank you. You're you're um, you've earned your bribe.
1: So tell us about Thunderhead.
2: Uh, I've worked for Thunderhead for ten years now, and and we actually sold um, or um, Thunderhead was acquired yesterday by Medallia. So um, it's actually the um, the kind of the celebration of the end of that. Um, sort of Thunder, part of the Thunderhead journey. But, right. um, you know, it's really exciting to see yep. what will happen now with the, with the acquisition. Yeah, yeah
1: absolutely. Um, Cut off the press. I was going to say breaking news. It yeah. is. It's a, shame, it's a shame this 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 uh, this conversation won't actually be available for a couple of weeks. Otherwise, we could claim some kind of exclusive.
2: Yeah, when I first joined Thunderhead, we actually were a very different company. Um, the product that we sold was, it's now called Smart Communications. And it was a part of the business that we um, separated from, the Thunderhead that exists today or right. doesn't quite exist anymore. Uh, and we, we sold that off uh, kind of about four years ago um, and then um, focused on the one platform, which is now what um, the kind of platform that Thunderhead has. Um, and really when, when we first started out, it was a um, customer communications management um, platform and really in the kind of document generation type space. Um, and then we uh, after we sold that, squarely moved into the kind of customer engagement world in um, the world of journeys and, and then journey orchestration, but it wasn't that journey orchestration when we first saw the company wasn't really a thing, um, yeah. it, it, you know, we kind of um, helped lead the way um, in that area. Now you see, you know, the 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 waves come out about journey orchestration, and it's kind of like a recognized category. Yeah. Um, so, Thunders, Thunderhead have been leaders in that space since its kind of
1: inception. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, a, a neat, a neat position to be in. Can can you, in a sentence, say what journey orchestration is?
2: It's really about um, kind of putting the emphasis back on on uh, understanding your um, customers, understanding the journeys that they're on, where they're on, where they are on those journeys, and then being able to visualize that and then take action based on who those um, customers are and the journeys that they're on and where they are to help them kind of achieve their goals or get to the end of their journeys. And, and I suppose the big thing is that um, it, it's, it's I, for me, it kind of spans between the kind of mar- marketing and um, customer experience kind of world. It should, I think, it should connect those two together.
1: I just wanted to to, to make, take the opportunity to make one observation, which is with regards to that um, uh, you know, separation of, of the two businesses, because what when we were working together, one of the things that kind of used to drive me crazy was the fact that the Salesforce platform that you have uh, was was effectively you know you kept custody of it in the divorce. Um, and I kept coming across bits that were nothing to do with the current business and, and were related to the previous business. Um, so I, I will say um, people um, in these kinds of situations do consider just starting again. I th- and I don't know whether I've said it before on, on, on the podcast or I'm, I'm certainly, I think I'm on record as saying it, which is that there comes a point sometimes where. Um, Burn it, it down. Can, yeah. But, but just start again. I'm not saying get rid of Salesforce. I'm just saying, get a fresh copy and, and start again um I, i'm being slightly facetious but um you 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 have that tech debt to use the trendy expression and um sometimes it, it can be it can be easier just to start from scratch anyway just to uh just to editorialize for a moment uh, yeah. i remember
2: yeah. you I, I remember simon you saying that to me a few times yeah.
0: <laughs> this, is, this is simon's excuses for the work he did right um, yeah. <laughs> anyway but <Mark. laughs> I, I find this really interesting as well because I've got a bit of, a bit of uh, history with with Thunderhead, not directly, but um, uh, my consultancy's done an awful lot with in customer communications and dynamic communications. So the the bit that you've sold off actually was um, was a bit that we sort of specialised in. So so interesting to know about this business that I've kind of I've looked at from afar and marketing operations. So tell us a little bit more about how marketing operations is handled um, within Thunderhead.
2: Brilliantly. Uh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking.
0: Is that because is of it? Simon?
1: Um, We've established that. <laughs> That's my legacy. Well,
2: he he hmm. left um oh, when did he leave? It was a couple of years ago. So uh, <laughs> since then it's been um, It's gone downhill. It's yeah. Been, yeah, it's gone way downhill. Um yeah, no, to be honest, we, we have a mixture of specialists that I work with, like consultants that kind of like Simon. Um and they sort of um they usually stay with us for quite a while, but uh, obviously sometimes they they leave and then other people come back. <laughs> come in um, um but they and then typically um if there's something i mean a lot of it is really me and then um if we have um if we need sort of a technical resource then we'll often we'll go out to like a you know agency and and then my my team my sort of demand gen team help out a lot as well it's kind of a mixture of uh i think lead in-house but but um you know definitely reliant upon um kind of key consultants that come in and help out as well
0: and is that more specifically the sort of specialisms when it gets deep and dark and dirty in in a tool or in an area?
2: Yeah, very much is. So we've got, um, you know, we we use Eloqua and Salesforce as our two sort of main, uh, you know, platforms. Uh, there's lots of there's lots of other tech as well, but those two are the big things. Um, and so we we, I I'm always tapping up a sort of sales Salesforce expert or a or our Eloqua expert. So. Mm. They're the sort of two
1: main people. Yeah, that's pretty interesting, actually, um, that, that model. Like, I guess we've, I think, actually, Kerry was was talking about that too, wasn't he? We, mm-hmm. we were just talking about him before we uh, started recording um, and, and the fact that, that, you know, he uses a sort of external, I think, an agency uh, to deliver some of those specialisms. So, you know, when when the scale isn't there for a, perhaps a, a full-time head or certainly a team, um, you know, it's, it's a perfectly good approach.
0: And then it's hard now, isn't it? There's so many tools and you have mentioned two massive tools as well as other bits and bobs that you've got there. And to have a team uh, that's at least one expert in every one of those tools, it, it's going to become very difficult to have those teams.
2: I think as well, there's, um, you know, a lot of like, our, for example, our PPC um, and SEO agencies, they actually chip in and help out quite a lot mm-hmm. with them. Um, with kind of operations from their perspective as well so there's really a lot of people involved there's so many there's, there's so many different bits of technology now mm-hmm. um so much data and metrics that really you know to, it, it's a role that has to be kind of shared i think
1: so give, given that blend that you've you've got across um execution and and, and operations what what is the, the the role of of marketing operations um conceptually um if if not obviously in terms of an actual person or what have you Uh, what is the role in in defining and, and executing marketing strategy
2: fundamentally it's the brain that really should um you know the intelligence layer that really should you should be using to direct your um you know demand gen efforts um so it it really should be there to help tell you what's working what's not working and inform that strategy in the first place i then think it's um it also kind of provides the um the engine room to get that strategy delivered so you know, if you, you need your, um, uh, you know, you need your technology um, talking, talking with each other, um, you need to make sure that you've got um, a good understanding of what's happening with your audiences and, and, you, and you need to be able to kind of take, you know, the con- content that's being produced um, and your marketing messages efficiently to market, especially when you're in a kind of growing business and, and there's lots of demands that are put on you.
0: It feels almost executiony. I know you say engine room. Engine room is, is a phrase we hear all the time as well. Like making things happen.
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. But but don't I? I also think it plays a, a critical role in um, in shaping that strategy as well. You've got to be, you know, data led um, these days. And, and operations is it's critical to getting that insight. You know, u- useful, valuable insight. Um,
1: in front of you, you know, what, one of the things that comes up with marketing operations sometimes is, you know, are are marketing operations people marketers, and you know, should they sit in IT and all these kinds of things, and and I'm I'm always absolutely adamant that no clues in the name, uh, we are marketers. So I think um, deploying some of that you know, marketing now um, is, is is absolutely spot on. And you know, I I always say and try and practice, you know, communications and, and keeping keeping people abreast of what you're doing because it's easy just to slip below the waterline. Um, as as you say, Mike, you know, in in your sort of blended or, or just combined role, it's it, it's not like you won't be invited to the meeting about the, I don't know, the PPC campaign or the the next you know rollout or some aspect of of you know lead process um but nonetheless you you i I could imagine eyes rolling when when you start saying well i think we need to take a look at how we're handling the you know inbound leads from the event and everyone groans and it's like well you know it's got to be done
0: you see that's simon leading with experience (laughs) yeah (laughs) for rolling their eyes across the country at him
1: exactly around the
2: world well in my experience i mean simon is um incredibly uh detailed in in his work which is uh yeah which is excellent um but um yeah there's i i know that um it's difficult to keep it simple i think and i think that's what you're trying to strive for
1: and so any 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 other advice for for marketing leaders in your position um with with that sort of blended uh, as i say blended responsibility um for um Yeah, dealing with with marketing operations as as well as as well as the other aspects
2: yeah um yeah I've got a lot um but I'll only keep it to a couple I I think the big thing is focus um you know so much of marketing is working out um you know everything uh, kind of uh, you know has appeal you do everything if you could Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you have to work out the things that you're not going to do. And for me, that's the really important thing. And that, that is focus and that's the that's when you've got to ask the hard questions.
1: Um Is that is that the uh, art of saying no sometimes?
2: It definitely is. Um and then and then I think if you're gonna say no, you need to be very um transparent with what you're trying to achieve. You need to have good reason why you're you're saying no and and um and you also need to um you know, you need to be prepared to compromise a lot. Um, but you shouldn't give up. Um, you know, there are there are certain battles that that have to be fought. Um you just need to choose the right ones. And then the only other thing really on from an ops point of view is um don't kind of put in process just for the sake of it. Really think about why what you're doing and why you're doing it and, and is it is it gonna deliver value? And mm. and and I think sometimes again, like you can quite quickly really overcomplicate things i'm i know i do it a lot so you, you know you've got to really focus on trying to keep it um try and keep keep it as simple as possible otherwise in the end you'll just lose people
0: I love that. That's one of my
1: favorite. yeah. That that is good, and I am conscious of that myself for sure. Um, like I mean, yeah, I, I I can get into the into the weeds, and um and it's you know if it, it's easy to do that and come up with with something that's overly complex, um, that like you say, um, people are just not going to to pay attention to or get to grips with, and, and then it, and then it won't work. So uh, yeah, that uh, that makes a lot of sense. All right, well. I think that uh, that's all the time we have. So, Mike, um, really appreciate um, having you on. And uh, we'll let you uh, go and and crack another beer uh, down on the beach. We'll go and start our days. Mike, once again, thanks for being on, and look forward to talking again soon. Thanks again to Mike and should anybody want to get in touch with Mike to talk about journey orchestration and learn more about that or just generally how to be a great marketer and marketing operations person you can find him on LinkedIn link in the show notes. Carla what did you think of our conversation?
0: Yeah great Uh, interesting conversation and we are now seven episodes in eight if you include the the, the pilot right. we're starting to see some real um commonalities through the comments so mike does some outsourcing of deep specialisms um he said words like engine room and um, we've heard that a few times understanding the audience or speaking the language of those that you're you're delivering your your results to um so I love the fact that we are starting to get a bit more definition in in what's mops but every now and again you get a little gem as well and and my gem from from Mike today was was focus and that told me that it's around credibility you know focus on what you're going to do say what you're going to do deliver what you're going to do and you you will be a credible outfit and I think that's really important
1: yeah absolutely yeah and that that art of saying no and, and having a justification for why something can't be done or can't be done right away I think we've touched on that in in the past mm, yeah um and then also keep it simple silly mm. um and and avoid over complicating um which uh, I know I've been guilty of and it's uh, <clears throat> it's easy in process definition to go into nth degrees of detail or just create a process which is um over complex and and that just introduces um a a brittleness and, and an inflexibility potentially that makes it hard to change so um yeah all right let's move on shall we let's turn now to our marketing operations leader and what a leader we have carla who is joining us today
0: Yeah, we've got some awesome company today, Simon. Um, Globally experienced operations professional across telecoms and business process outsourcing Uh, companies including BT Global Services, TMF Group, and more recently, Intertrust have been called on more than once to create MOPs functions from scratch which has been the absolute right place to uh, pick up some top tips from this guy. So welcome to the podcast Ian Benison, Director of Marketing Operations at Intertrust Group. Thank you very much,
3: glad to be here. Hi, it's yeah.
0: lovely, lovely to have you here Ian. Tell us what Intertrust do and a bit more about you.
3: Fine, um, so Intertrust is a, um, a global provider of administrative services so it's mainly accounting and um, corporate services and um, we're a Dutch based company um, and we operate in 30 odd countries I think now.
0: That's not a Dutch accent though is it Ian? No
3: no, it's not a Dutch accent. No I'm from uh, I'm from the northeast of England um, although it's a long time since I've lived there um, so I, I suppose my route is a bit strange um, not not the normal route I am um, I mean, I could talk all day on that, but literally I started as an engineering apprentice with BT as a 16-year-old. I think
1: that's a new one.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, we, um, we have not spoken to anyone that came into MOTS because they wanted to be in MOTS, but engineer is definitely not on the list, so we'll add that no. now.
3: So I went, through, uh, I went through many jobs at BT over a long time, and I think that was the beauty of the company in the old days. Mm. But I ended up in, in, in sales operations in global services. So, again, it was working across, oh, God, 140-odd countries with BT Global. Um, And then I ended up in sales improvement and and sort of various sales programs. And it was through my work with account development planning that I met my current boss who worked in marketing. And um, when he left and joined... TMF group, he invited me to go along and, and set up a marketing operations team, which was a new one to me because uh, my background for the previous 10 years had, had all been sales. And then I had seven years at TMF where by the time I left, I had a mops team of about 13 people. And then what, two almost two years ago, um, I, I decided to take a break and then uh, I was going to have three months off and then COVID arrived and sort of spoiled. You said have two years off. (laughs) Yeah, well, not quite. It was almost, uh, you know, I was thinking I was about four weeks into my my time off when the first lockdown came. And uh, so uh, I got a call from Richard, my old boss, and said, I'm joining Intertrust, and I could do with someone uh, to come and set up a marketing operations function. So... uh, being stuck at home with nothing to do i thought well why not and uh, you know missed my sabbatical almost or well i got four weeks of it
1: so a couple of things come to mind from from what you said there with, with with that initial experience of creating the marketing operations function as you say mm. not coming from a even particularly a marketing background let alone mops mm. did you feel you brought something different to that a different perspective um or did you feel like um you you were completely making it up as you went along
3: um i hope i wasn't totally making it up but i did feel a little bit out of my
1: depth for the, you know,
3: a little while i must admit yeah. but i think what i bring is is probably one a lot of general experience so in my career i've done project management i've been in finance teams so, you know, some of the first things I did in in that role was sort out the budget because even the chief exec didn't know what the marketing budget was and who spent what. So that was sort of one of my first uh, jobs. Um, there was 32 websites when I first joined TMS. <laughs> some of them saying things that weren't legal. They all had a different message. It was, right. it was you know, so, so one of the first things we... Um, we did there was to create one site right with um a real focus on lead generation via that site which was totally dismissed by the senior managers at the time you know this is a professional services company we don't get you know it's all about uh, our relationships we don't get new business via the a website mm-hmm. and then Obviously, a bit like our strategy here—a very heavily content-driven strategy. Um, you know, it brings people to the website and yeah. then they make an inquiry. And and you know, by the time I left, um, it was a uh, what well, I can't I'm trying to think how many notes. Uh, <laughs> it was about a nine-figure amount of euros that were coming in as
0: pipeline via that website, right?
1: Right.
3: We yeah.
0: that, when you that, have to rethink yeah. about the noughts, you know, yeah. you did a good job. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got it.
3: You don't put me in charge of the budget or whatever you do. <laughs> or the only Yeah. Um, exactly. I used to annoy a lot of the guys in the marketing team because I would use a phrase which I still use now. Why?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So what? You know, it's what does that, how does that bring in pipeline? How does yeah. that bring in new business?
1: Yeah. I mean, that, that point about why. And and so on is crucial. I mean, I'm I'm just doing some some budgeting at the moment, and you know, uh, started off with wild optimism, and, and having to pare it back, and and again, the conversation is well, completely see why we would want to do that, but does it move the needle? Does it bring leads in? And right now, if it doesn't, then it's it's not going in.
3: I think from from again from my my perspective, I always see in operations function as just an enabler for the rest of the marketing team. How -hmm. can we make it easy for them to go to market? How can we make it easy for them to do what they're good at? The way that I've structured MOPS here is, you know, I've got a website team again. I've got a very small digital team at the moment that we're trying Mm -hmm. to grow. Um, You know, our marketing here is in its infancy compared to a lot of, of more established companies you know we don't have too many channels to market
1: and the digital piece then is is that paid digital like you know yeah. google ads and that kind of thing
3: so i still i still rely on agencies for right. my stuff so from a, a pay per click perspective i use an agency seo i still use you okay know, agency um marketing automation we have some of the skills the tool that i inherited just isn't good enough so That's one of my priorities for 2022 is to is to change that out. And I remember my first three objectives I was given was sort the budget out again, because, again, no one knew who was, you know, I've got a slight complexity as I've got a central group budget and I've got regional budgets and and it's just how you use them for the best. You know, I've got lots of little pockets of money dotted around the world which when you're trying to do global campaigns, it's not really effective. Right. So, so, Swiss bank
1: accounts and, and that kind <laughs> of thing, <laughs> off- offshore.
3: No, not quite, not quite. But um, it just isn't easy always to actually pull them global uh, events and campaigns together. Well, when you're mm-hmm. trying to take little bits of money out of various pots and then you get into local arguments. So, yeah. so we looked at that and come up with a, finance, with a better way of, of doing it. Um, so to the budget was one, a new website was the second one, and the third one was visibility of, of our activities in a dashboard, um, particularly pipeline, because in our, I'm a great believer that the only real statistic we talk upwards with is, is pipeline and revenue. All the other stuff, it's fine for marketing, And we use, you know, all sorts of other KPIs in there. But, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, a lot of that stuff outside of marketing. Once you talk about revenue, the CFO stops thinking about you as a cost center and more as a a revenue growth engine. And and that changes the dynamic pretty quickly. But you've got to be able to prove your worth in that scenario. Because if you don't, you remain a cost center and, and then you're always at risk from, the first cut.
0: <laughs> it's kind of a number of times on the podcast, actually, and it's really interesting that you've mentioned it. Is is speaking that language so that the the people who give you budget, uh, the people who consider you to be the a drain on on budget or not, um, that they start to see you as um, or something that's adding value rather than yeah. taking away. Um,
3: we all know about you know the requirement to spend on on brand awareness and all the other good things, but it's a bit invisible to them. But again, a lot of the stuff, who cares? Because they yeah. care about money. That's, that's
0: the purpose. Speak the language, yeah. Yeah. Tell me particularly about how difficult, or what the challenges are of starting in an established marketing business.
3: In all honesty, in both of these roles that I've started from scratch, it hasn't been that particularly difficult. To me, I think it would have been harder if it was a more established marketing team the fact that that these guys were so multitasking on everything, somebody coming in and say, hold on, guys, I'll take all that off you. Forget about setting up your own campaigns. We'll do that. Mm-hmm. You know, your data will tell us your audience. We'll sort that out. You know, I think someone coming in and just saying, I'm going to make your life easy guys. And, and, you know, so.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think that that's actually interesting in itself because you, 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 as you say, you, you, Talk about taking data management or targeting or maybe maybe budgeting yeah. off off marketers and you you find that you are pushing it an open door um, and not not to say that mops is, is all about just picking up the crap, but what what it does mean is that marketers can focus on marketing. Um, and the messaging and content and brand and and uh, proposition and so on that they really want to be doing. The dilution,
0: um, the, you know, the dilution mm, of of marketers' mm, talents into jack of all trades. Yeah, mm. ex-
1: exactly, exactly, and it just makes everybody more effective and, and happier.
0: Don't forget as well,
1: guys,
3: that the, the, the ops roles are very specialist. Sure. So, so you bring in the right people to do them roles. I think it's difficult if people have to create a mops function from maybe an existing team that don't have the right skills. Mm. Mm. If you have the ability to hire the right skills when you're setting up, that makes a huge difference because again, people see expertise coming in and they go, I really don't want to get involved in this anymore. Mm. This is what I need, guys. Can you help me? Can you build it for me? And then I think, you know, it's easier. I can imagine if you're trying to convert people on willingness or, or you know he's a few people create a role I can imagine that being a lot more difficult mm. but I think if you get the chance to build from scratch yeah I think sometimes it may be easier than trying to go into as you said a, an existing company and then right. an operations team but even if I had to do that I, you know I'd still be looking for trying to sell the value of what that brings and you know I know for a fact marketers do not like additional process and admin and stuff like that
1: we're running out of time you you've mentioned budget on a a, a few points presumably you 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 feel that that's a a natural place for it to sit within marketing operations and and have that that overall oversight i do
3: yes and and you know i i had some I've, i've spent some time in my career in finance teams i'm not qualified but i do understand a lot of it which helps me interface into finance right it's so much easier with quarterly forecasts you know how how and when we have to cut or expand budgets so it just helps but i I do think it's the right place because i think again it's a central point that can be quite agnostic in things as well and it's like you know we've i i this year's Budget. I built it, and then we went out to our leadership team and say, "Right, okay, then is this uh, is this okay?" And then we sort of argue about where we cut things, where we added things. But I I, I do believe it is the right place for.
0: Uh, I heard your comment about how many zeros earlier, so I'm not buying this. You you doubled in finance business.
3: Strangely, <laughs> on a very small budget, and that that's that's <laughs> I think that's why. You know, the world has had a change through COVID, but I think when you have a small budget, it makes you change anyway because you can't spend big. And I, I sometimes think that's better because if, you, if you're having to think about every euro or every pound you want to spend, you're more careful and you actually really yeah. think it through. And then you start thinking, how can I do this on very little budget? And, mm. and literally over the last few years, there's small budgets for a company of our size and, and, and books. You know, it's, it's getting every euro to work and as little yeah. wasted as possible.
0: Indeed. Right. Look, we are rapidly running out of time, Ian, but I just want to squeeze one more very quick question in for you. And that's mm-hmm. um, what your key priorities are as, uh, as a marketing operations leader for the year ahead.
3: Um, for this one, for me, is we need to be more advanced in our marketing automation. So I'm replacing our current tool, Um, And then I've got enough skills internally to start some nurturing campaigns and we'll get into sales with some lead scoring. Again, it sounds quite basic for a lot of companies, but you know we know when a different. Never done it.
1: <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm absolutely with you. And it's interesting, actually. You talk, you just in even in mentioning scoring. I mean, I'm kind of getting beaten up on scoring, but I I do think it's a bit of a red herring, almost. You know, you could have the most fabulous lead scoring model, but it's not going to magically make leads appear out of nowhere. Back to so.
0: pounds and pence, aren't we? Back to those those knots How many noughts, Yeah. <laughs> okay well look Ian. thank you so much for spending some time with us i'm sure we could have carried on for for another half hour or so but uh, uh, we hope you enjoyed yourself
3: i did it was very good i uh, thoroughly enjoyed it
0: thank you very much thanks ian so great to have ian on the show and if anybody is interested in setting up uh, marketing operation services from scratch Ian's the guy to talk to, or indeed, you want to talk to him about um, speaking the language of the CFO or anything else that he mentioned, you can capture him on LinkedIn. We'll pop his uh, his details in the show notes for you. So Simon, what do you make of that?
1: Well, once again, um, an interesting starting point or entry point into marketing operations. And that varied experience, I think, obviously, uh, as well for um for for that role with experience across sales and finance and uh and, and elsewhere and and it all all those elements really really come together don't they he
0: he didn't he wasn't even marketing he didn't even want right. to do marketing no, you know that's he just right. he just got there yeah. It's it's quite funny actually because it's almost like the cream rising to the top yeah it, when you are naturally um you know a, an efficiency chaser or an operational mm. person you just end up there
1: yeah yeah, exactly. You you just you see the challenges and uh, and you you almost intuitively know how to uh, how to fix them.
0: You can't avoid it. I think it right. just it happens. Yeah, I think um, I loved once again another nod to the um, the revenue speaking the language, mm. you know, of of those that matter. And I think it's important for me to say as well. In this case, it was the CFO, and I think probably in ninety percent of cases, it, yeah. it will be. The, the CFO or the other person who's going to give you the budget, but it could be anyone yeah. that needs to hear your voice.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the CFO or the CEO for that matter, and and um, and sales colleagues as well, because, you know, revenue is obviously really all they think about. And those upstream marketing metrics of anything across visitors followers likes clicks opens it, it's it's uh, it's important they're leading indicators they're how we in marketing know that we're going in the right direction but yeah don't don't be talking about those outside of marketing really because you'll just get rolling eyes or you know rolling tumbleweed probably
0: and i'll get on my soapbox so i'll mm-hmm. do this later but i'm going to throw this to you dilution
1: yeah, in, in terms of skills within marketing and um, absolutely. trying to do too much. Yeah. yeah,
0: absolutely. Marketers doing everything, doing a bit right. of everything.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and I think that, that point that Ian made about pulling some of those things away from marketers so they can, they can get back to the knitting is important. And actually, thinking about it, I was listening to um, an episode of Freakonomics um, the other day talking about specialism and, um, slightly bizarrely within American football actually, but it was, uh, a, a, just a very interesting take on, um, the benefits of specialism and, uh, and, and marketing operations brings that to marketing. And then as Ian said, within marketing operations, you've got specialists on particular things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that really does tell. So I'll, um, I'll stick an, a link to that, to that other podcast in, uh, in the notes as well.
0: Awesome. And talking about freaks or whatever you may have been listening to, we've got our own <laughs> marketing operations little freak that we need to go and have a cup of coffee with right now.
1: Let's uh, warm up the chimbali machine. And it's time now to catch up with our favourite marketing operations guru, Courtney Makara, as we get together for a virtual coffee with Courtney. Good morning, Courtney. I've just finished watching the replay of your confessions so um I guess there's there's nothing else to say really
4: what did she confess Simon I haven't watched
0: it yet so what was the confession I'll
1: I'll let I'll let Courtney reconfess
4: uh so yes last week I was lucky enough to be invited on a podcast uh, or it's actually a like a live webinar presentation so they actually got to see my face instead of just hear my voice oh but so you can't uh, be in your pajamas and not have any makeup on <laughs> exactly. I'm, not, I'm not down for that <laughs> yes, exactly. I had to be, you know, freshly faced and ready for Zoom, but it is Mad Kudu's Marketing Ops Confessions. And, um, you know, I think I was hyped up in the moment. There was some adrenaline going because it was live, and I confessed everything, that I hate marketing attribution. <gasps> what? Well,
1: I know. That, that brings to an end our association. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know. Good thing I know and how to make on birthday. Coffee with Jemima, We will be... <laughs>
1: Um, Yes, because obviously we all love uh, attribution, can't get enough of it.
4: Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of context that goes behind why I say I hate it. I, I do think there's some value to it, but I think personally, I felt like it's like the hamster wheel. You know, we're constantly tweaking it. And I think of all the time and money and hours spent looking at this data. And I think sometimes it can be manipulated to get what you want if you don't like what you see. And I think there are some things that are just not measurable, like, you know brand sentiment and tone and perception in the market and yeah I think it can be kind of an exercise in futility and And, and do you think Courtney
0: people are using attribution for other means to get other things to produce a great report that makes the team look good or a campaign look good or and actually it's not really true attribution it's more just vanity number
4: I think it can be vanity numbers, not to say obviously that everyone is out there doing that, but there again there's so many things that can't be measured or touched and so then it's going to skew your percentages of. The data that you do have, and there are so many touches that impact you know SaaS software sales can be really expensive and there's so many different decision makers involved and. What is the sales person actually going to know how that decision was made on the internal side, I think. More importantly, which I think is kind of undervalued is like real customer marketing and really once the customer has decided and onboarded and implemented, then you have those first three or six months of getting to know them and then you really get to know their business and who and why the decisions are made and then the renewal, you know, if they continue to stay a customer, I think is really important and I don't feel like enough attention is paid to that side of the business. When you look back, and those of us
0: who are of a certain age, and I know that the two people I'm with are of a certain age, you know, and you remember old school traditional marketing, as we call it, um, outdoor advertising and print and and all of that kind of stuff. You bought based on who was going to see it, but there was no way of knowing how many pairs of eyes actually saw it. And mm-hmm. I think that the, the new digital age has kind of, it, it lent itself to actually giving you some figures that mattered. And now it has morphed into... Now, again, it can't give you the figures that mattered, Um, but yet people are still holding on to that, that, you know, all the data's there. We should be able to tell
4: a true story. Absolutely. I remember in college doing, you know, marketing projects and talking about, okay, we got to make up a fake product, whatever product we wanted, and it didn't even have to be you know, scientifically possible. But then we had to come up with our marketing plan and decide, you know, what what our budget was, what magazines we would wanna put ads in. You know, you're putting your ad in Time Magazine or Cosmo or 17 for girls and how much ad space went for. And I remember being shocked at how expensive ad space was because they're saying, no, this is our reach. You know, we're reaching, you know, 2 million people between the ages of 17 and 25. And I'm like, I've gotten those magazines and I just flip right past those pages for perfume and, you know, skincare products and stuff like, wow, people are spending tens and tens of thousands of dollars for that space and they couldn't measure it at all. And so then I think, you know, the internet came out and websites and then analytics on websites and the pendulum just swung so far to the opposite side of measure, measure, measure everything, which is wonderful. I love data. I'm obviously in mops, but I do think there can be kind of that hamster wheel of, over measuring and just again tweaking the data to get what you want. Can we just like set a model and let it run for six months or maybe three months and then analyze it and then kind of decide after the fact? And there's also so much more to marketing to do. You know, I like doing like execution and actually doing some marketing instead of sitting in the back room. You know, with my numbers. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And look, well, Mr. Numbers, Mr. Numbers is right here and hasn't said a word yet. He's been very um, quiet. I, I,
4: He's I, looking I miss... for my replacement on LinkedIn <laughs> right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, Sorry, I got distracted. Um, no, I miss the old days of marketing as well. I was just reading a Scott Brinker uh, blog post, actually, um, and he reminded me and, and quoted uh, a great line from Dilbert where um I guess Dilbert or the engineering team described marketing as um, liquor and guessing. Um, And I I miss those days. There hasn't been enough liquor or guessing.
0: Oh, there's plenty of guessing going on in my world, let me tell you. But you know, know, the thing Uh, I thought was most amazing about what Courtney said previously was like when I was in marketing college, (laughs) you went to marketing college? Wow. You uh, actually know what you're doing.
4: I mean, you know, back then, you again d- dating myself, it was the 4 Ps of marketing, which
0: there's now yeah. 44, isn't there? All yeah, exactly. Something.
1: Yeah, that, I mean, that's inflation, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just, because this isn't even what we're supposed to be talking about, but um, I'll, I'll, ju- I'll just, to comment on one point you made, Courtney, about kind of gaming it and so on. And mm-hmm. um, cert- certainly I've experienced that. And I think the only reason that I don't experience it so much now is because we're just not very sophisticated with attribution, but I can easily see that as we get more sophisticated, It then becomes much more possible to say, Mm -hmm. oh, just make sure that so and so is tagged to the campaign or to the you know to the opportunity so that um their their attribution gets picked up. And it's like, well, that might be fair, or we might just be totally gaming it now. Um you pick
4: the numbers you like, right? It's obviously gonna change on the size of the business and the size of the opportunities. I mean, small you know, under $100 purchases, it's going to be a much different way to track attribution. That's like tracking e-commerce attribution versus what I'm talking about is really the SaaS software yeah,
0: multi-decision
4: yeah. maker personalities involved. Absolutely. It's really hard. Although anybody. it is fair to say that anybody who arrived here mm. uh,
0: wanting to find some experts in uh, attribution have probably left already. Right. Um, <laughs> we are still really good at it.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Now, now, Now they've all gone. Courtney, what did you want to talk about? Yeah.
4: <laughs> well, actually this week, I saw a great blog article from a friend of mine, another stateside marketing operations guru named what? Carrie. There's Fiddler.
1: another one we thought- There's you... another one, quick.
4: Another, another one. one. We're after can
1: you, somebody can you, to Could you just send me her LinkedIn, LinkedIn profile? <laughs> just, you
4: know. Oh, that's right. She's after my She's after my job. But no, Carrie is wonderful and um, went independent, I think about a year, year and a half ago. And she has started, her company name is Condurio. And this week she sent out a newsletter talking about defining channels and what is the definition because it happens a lot for people like her and myself who come into an agency and they're like, we need a lead source project, you know, we need attribution for the sources, but what's the offer and what's the channel and no one knows what it is source channel or is source content. Right. and how do you define it and yeah. Yeah. yeah i'd love to hear how you guys define it well
1: it, it's funny because i'm literally i have a spreadsheet open in front of me and some some of the existing values for lead source for instance are things like uh bdr call and <laughs> linkedin messaging um and also um, sales call and there also interestingly zoom info uh, mm-hmm. But in addition to that, there's also purchase list. And of course, mm-hmm. some of these are Salesforce out of the box, because our instance is, is brand new and, and basically just like we just installed it. Um, and then some of them have been messed around with. Um, but to my mind, things like BDR call, that's not a source. Because if a BDR called somebody... Then that somebody must have come from somewhere. So where right. did, where did
4: they from? get the phone number to right. know to call? Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So That's this is source. this is the age old, doesn't matter what category it is, doesn't matter how you define it, there will always be a person, a user with a human brain that spoils yeah. it. Mm-hmm.
4: And <laughs> sure. well, even it. something like the list purchase that you mentioned, you know, you can get right. a list, you can obviously purchase a list very carefully if people are wanting to do that, but you yeah. can get a list and import it from an event or from a trade show. So is the source yeah. a list or is the source, the event?
1: That, that's but exactly. How did
4: people get to the event? Like,
1: well, yeah, no, that's, and as it happens, I've, I've got event as a source. Mm-hmm. And my, um, reasoning is, you know, if it's an event, it's event, if it's anything else, it's basically, and I'm, I'm kind of going with purchase slash acquired, just to mm-hmm. say it came from somewhere. And to make the point, though, that, you know, because we use campaigns within Salesforce. So my thinking is the campaign holds the specific.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and
1: again, this is the other thing that I'm quite adamant about. Lead source is generic. It's, it, you know, we've got 10 values. That's it. It doesn't change dramatically over time. 10, I'm
4: impressed. I can never get anyone down under like 20, but I wish <laughs> we could get it down to 10.
1: Well, so, well, let me put it like this. I've got 10 at the moment. I'm about to send them around. Uh, you yeah, know, ne- next time we speak, I'll probably be up to like 20 or 30, but um, at, at the moment. But but the point is they are, uh, they are generic. So it's not, I don't think we should have Zoom info or... Um, you know, whatever other data source, it's it's just a generic, and then we capture the specific somewhere else. Um, and similarly, for a, for a you know, if BD are doing outbound calling, that's mm-hmm. a campaign. So mm-hmm. now the lead source is, you know, the lead source could be purchased, acquired, um, mm-hmm. and then we might have a campaign of, of you know, uh, BD outbound on a particular topic, and that's the campaign.
4: Well, I'm curious on the event comment, so, mm-hmm. but. How did, did the they get the person to the event yeah right how, did they, go and, it? The event? how yeah. did they register did they see it on LinkedIn did they search for it did exactly. they Oh,
1: I guess it depends in that sense whether uh, it's a it's a, an in-house or a first party event or whether it's a third-party event so if because we you know we sponsor and attend quite a few events so we then get the either we'll get the attendees or the booth visitors or whatever um and so you know i guess we just don't know where they came from and
0: that's why attribution sucks (laughs) and that's it
1: you know, I think possibly to, to Courtney's point, you know, that again, there's a pragmatism with attribution, which is it isn't possible to get to the nth degree. But, you know, if you can establish or identify that an, a yeah. particular event was a good driver of business, then that would say invest in that event again. And all and being well,
0: marketing to get people there. Yeah.
1: Well, sure. But it, again, it's not necessarily. I mean, of course, I think Courtney, you just said it. We, we may well pre- pr- uh, promote our presence at an event. But if it's, a, if it's a, you know, a third party trade event that requires registration outside of our control, then, I mean, again, it's gonna be really impossible for us to know that we, mm-hmm. prom- we mm-hmm. cause someone to, to register for the, for the event. I mean, they might capture that. You know, How did you hear about this event? Right. Oh, I got an email from whoever. Mm. I um, think
4: that's the tricky thing is because right. you c- event could be a source, but event could also be a channel right yes yeah someone from an event could then request a demo or request pricing or something like that like the event itself maybe it's a webinar Mm -hmm. post webinar follow-up information so it's I think that's the tricky thing is that certain experiences can be both source and channel or offer and that's where you know it's not super black and white and I think this conversation that we're having is what doesn't happen enough in internal organizations where you know, marketing might say, okay, here's our sources. We've made our list of 10 sources and can sales approve it? And, you know, you can't just have those debates over email. You need to sit down and have these conversations and hear different personalities and come to a consensus together. And again, just like we talked about last week, make a decision. It might not be the right decision, but make a decision, decide how you're, what you're going to call something and how you're going to measure it and then kind of lock it in for a time frame.
1: But um, what, what does, what does channel mean for you then Courtney, in that context?
4: So for me, I always thought about my analogy for a long time has been a car on a road, driving down the highway, looking at billboards and the road is the channel of like, how do I get there? Um, and then the billboards are the offers of what I see, but like, how did I, the, the mechanism that helped me travel. So I would see, you know, a channel like for paid advertising, you know, Google AdWords kind of situation, or even maybe paid on LinkedIn, that the channel is paid, but the source. Is mm. the actual origin destination of where they came from? They came from Google. The channel was a paid link, like a paid hyperlink, mm-hmm. and then the offer was an ebook, a white paper, a webinar, or you know, pricing request, whatever it is that they were searching for. Yeah,
0: I yeah. like that analogy.
4: Yeah, and to yeah. Ca- to take it back to Carrie Picklesimer's blog post, as she used a very similar uh, analogy of uh, an airplane of your original destination, and then her little graphic of flights all around the US, um, that flight in the air being the channel, and then the offer being what they consumed or their final destination of their flight.
1: Yes, I was just looking at that. Uh, We'll we'll put a link in the show notes um, and thinking, wow, whatever that is, because I haven't read it quite yet. It looks very complicated.
4: (laughs) It's just a map of the United States. It's not that complicated. It is to
1: us. (laughs) It is to us. those little square ones in the middle so have you have you got that pinned down then or uh, as we say there's no there's no perfect answer
4: there's no perfect answer and this is often a conversation you know i've had in my internal roles and i have with clients where they'll say these are the lead sources they want and they will often put something in there that the oftentimes the source will be an activity or an action and i think it should be an origin where did the email address name and phone number come from again it didn't just come from BDR outreach. It didn't just also come from email. You don't just all of a sudden look in your marketing automation platform and you're like, Oh, look at all these emails, these people, I'm going to send them an email. Where did they, and again, originally come from now a secondary source. If you are doing attribution and multi-touch, maybe their most recent source was they clicked on an email, but that's probably not where they originated from.
1: No, no, they, everybody has to have started from somewhere. There can only be one original source. Well, On that note, I think we've uh, done that to death and just about (laughs) stayed friends. We'll leave it there. Courtney, thanks again, as always. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again
0: next time.
4: Well, thank you again for the invitation. And uh, thanks for having coffee with Courtney. And I'll talk with you guys next time.
0: Yeah, when we have coffee with somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Courtney. I I think Courtney's fully... (laughs)
1: And should you be looking for guidance on defining your sources, channels and offers or attribution more widely? She loves it, really. Courtney can be reached via LinkedIn or at mustangmartech.com. Links in the show notes. And that's our podcast. Carla, what's MOPs got to do with it?
0: I say it every time, but what an interesting session that we've had this time. Um, what have I learned? What's MOPs? So Mike Gillian, our marketing leader brought to us the interest around uh, outsourcing. And, and why I say it's really interesting is because it's, I think it's something we've got to get used to. There is so many specialisms in marketing operations that right. I think you, you're gonna have to outsource, otherwise you're gonna end up building this huge big empire um, of specialists. And it's something that I've I felt passionately around keeping in-house. And now I'm starting to really shift into, is it possible?
1: Yeah, I think it entirely comes down to the scale. If, if you've got the scale that you can bring in a, an individual with a particular specialism, then that's great. But otherwise, there's just an awful lot to get across. And, and I, I, can, I can speak to that from sort of personal experience or at least vicarious personal experience. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes, yeah, you've got to go out and, and buy just a slice of a specialist um, to, to cover that aspect for you within the wider um team or whatever
0: and mike also talked to us about um marketing operations being the engine room you know common themes that are coming out of of talking to our guests being the engine room of marketing um, and keeping things simple which i thought was a great point but the the last one i wanted to pull out from mike was around something that we're hearing all the time which is understanding your audience and speaking the language of the people that you need to convince whether that be for budget or whether that be for more headcount or whether that be for just um, marketing operations in general. Um,
4: yeah. So that was a
0: biggie for me. And then we moved on to our marketing operations leader, um, Ian Benison, who wasn't even a marketing person. You know, he's definitely not marketing operations, but he wasn't even marketing. The guy was an engineer, Right. yet found himself in, a, in an operations world. Um, he brought something to my attention, which was asking why, you know, that childlike statement of why are we mm-hmm. doing this? Why, 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 why?
1: Yeah, and I think I think it comes back to the you know to the requirements piece, and yeah, why why are you trying to do that, and what's the the, the purpose rather than just trying to jump straight to the the end solution? So that 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 is critical.
0: And he also mentioned the words "speak the language," and um, particularly if you're trying to get budget um and particularly if you have a connection to any kind of rev ops or or revenue boss that you need to talk to but the one thing i will pull out from ians is the thing that i'm super super passionate around and that's dilution Uh Um, you know making sure that your specialists are specialists and don't dilute the talents of yeah. your your generic marketer, as we would mm. say, and mm-hmm. um, get your specialist in there, so that was well, it. it's the
1: it's the corollary of of the specialism. Um, you know, go to the specialists. Don't try and turn a specialist into a generalist and and make them to do too much or, or be spread too thin.
0: Or, or you lose your specialist. you know, you mm. you lose your shining star who was great at at coming up with strategic marketing campaigns, yeah because they're fighting. Um, a par. database. right um and then last on to um our friend Courtney so Courtney was down Courtney was down because she dislikes attribution but we know she loves it really um and we had a great conversation around attribution is really difficult you know it's it, you you find yourself asking the question that you want the answer to and you want a certain answer so mm. therefore you effectively not manipulate the data, but you, you hear the numbers you wanna hear that backs up your story. So um, be aware of that. I'm not saying don't do it, but be aware of it. And also the, the, the mythical number that's impossible to get to because influence bears such a big impact on attribution that it's almost impossible to find out where that influence is coming from. So just be aware of it when you are trying to, to get a solid number. Keep it real. Keep it real. So yeah, that was um that was a great, a great session.
1: Indeed, fabulous. Well, okay, that's it. There is no more. Thanks again for listening to episode seven of What's Mops Got to Do with It. Thank you to our guests, Mike William in Benison, and of course, Courtney mccara Check out what'smops.com where you can find show notes and also listen to all of our previous episodes. You can get in touch with us via the website or LinkedIn. It's great to hear from you with feedback, comments, and suggestions for future episodes. Comment and rate us on your preferred podcast platform. It really helps spread the word. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to receive the next episode in your feed. Don't lose it, leave it to chance. Hope is not a strategy. Next time, we'll be speaking to Amanda Beasley, Managing Director of Financial Services and Insurance Division at Paragon Customer Communications and Jeff Q, Director Global Marketing Operations at Magnitude Software. Rescheduled from this episode, And thanks to Ian for stepping in at the last moment into the marketing operations leader seat. And as always, we'll grab a virtual coffee with Courtney. So goodbye from me, Simon Daniels.
0: And goodbye from me, Carla Wentworth.